Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. I've been running for a few years now and have the privilege of meeting many incredible runners on my travels all across the country. This podcast is intended to share those amazing conversations. This week's guest is Tyler Andrews. Tyler is a pro ultra runner who just raced in Hoka One One's Carbon X 100K world record attempt. Tyler and I talked about setting challenging and very public goals and why he loves continuing to do so. Tyler and I dug into what it means to be a successful runner, some tips on how to continue to improve over the years and his love of the process, and what balance means to him. Tyler runs for Hoka, Noon Hydration, and Strive Trips. Enjoy! All right, welcome back. I'm here with Tyler Andrews in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Tyler, thanks for uh, thanks for joining today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Of course. So uh, you were a part of the Hoka uh, 100K world record attempt this past weekend, and uh, and I wanted to chat about the the public goals you've set for that, the public goals you've set in the past, um, and this you know let's let's go for it and you know find out what happens later type approach that that we both know and love. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's something that I love to do in terms of setting big, ambitious goals. Um, and sometimes it goes really well. Sometimes it doesn't. But you know, you have to set yourself up to to at least have the opportunity to do that. And this this weekend was definitely an instance of that happening, where I set myself up to have a big day. But I also knew going into it that there were there were many more paths to that ended in the medical tent and me dropping out than there were in me having an amazing debut and crushing it. Definitely. And I want to dig into that a little bit before, but we have a very important question that uh, Sabrina wants to know about your hair, awesome haircut the day before the race. <laughs> um, yeah, I it, I don't know. It's kind of a tradition. I like to cut my hair short, especially before a race, especially if it's going to be hot. Um, I'm one of those people who just like, I'd like to try and get every second I can out of a race. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I have really thick curly hair. So I knew it was going to be a hot day and I said, okay, I'm going to buzz all this off. So I went, just went to a place next to our hotel and got a haircut. <laughs> nice. I can appreciate that. I, I normally have a full beard and uh, I raced a marathon on Sunday and uh, I raced marathons with mustaches. So there you go. <laughs> I couldn't take myself seriously any longer with the mustache. So yeah. now I'm clean shaven. Um, well, how, how'd your marathon go? Let's talk yeah, about that first. It was really good. Yeah. Wait, ran, what race did you run? Uh, Providence. Oh, nice. Uh, I ran 20 minute. PR Whoa. and uh, 259. I should be interviewing 40. you. That's all. 259? 259. Wow. Yeah. Nice, dude. So it was, That's uh, awesome. Congrats. Good, thank you. It was a good day. Wow. A lot of a lot of things came together, and yeah. it was the first marathon I've run that, that went well. That's awesome, so, man. Congrats. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about, you know, on, on that exact note, setting big goals. Um, sure. Why do you, what do you think it is about the the possibility of coming up short that keeps us coming back well i think that 
when you have the opportunity to do something special, you, you have to, you have to risk more. Um, I think that those are the moments that are the most exciting, that are the most engaging. And those are the moments that can really make or break your career. I think if you never take a big risk, you're never going to have a big breakthrough. And I'm someone who's also seen a lot of success through just kind of gradually getting better and better every year without taking big risks, at least in terms of, you know, I never really made huge jumps in performance. I was always someone who just kind of got a little bit better each year. Um, but I feel like I'm at the point now in my career where I do get these opportunities sometimes where it's kind of all or nothing. It's like, okay, this is a really big opportunity and you can go and do something really great and you can really change the trajectory of your career and, or, or you can do nothing. Uh, you know, if you, if you're conservative about it, there's not, there's not much benefit there. Um, and if you're really aggressive, there's a lot of scenarios, a high percentage of the outcomes are, might be you failing miserably, but the few that go really well are going to go really well. And, and so it's worth taking that bet. What's, what's one big breakthrough, whether it's mental or physical that, that you look back on, not necessarily as, you know, oh that, that time was awesome, but, um, whether it was physically doing something you hadn't done before or, or going to a pain cave or mentally clicking. Yeah. I think that the most obvious instance of that is it was the first time I qualified for the Olympic trials back in 2014. Um, and I knew that I was in really good shape and I had the opportunity. It was a great day. I was at CIM, which is a super fast course. It was a loaded field, like always, with kind of that sub-elite Olympic, Olympic trials qualifier pack. And um, I kind of made a move in the middle of the race to leave that pack and go in front um, and ended up kind of in no man's land. And, and that was another moment I think about of like, okay, it could have gone really poorly. I could have been isolated. I could have been going too fast too early. And I mean, I did positive split. And so like, I, th I think that one worked out better because there was more margin for error. Um, but I still, you know, I ran a race that I was really proud of and I ran a, like a four minute PR or something that day to qualify for the trials for the first time. So, you know, it's, it's those kind of instances that I've kind of looked for over the years of where's there, where's there a way for you to do something really special and, and, you know, the, the, the caveat to that or the other side of that coin is that you often end up, you know, getting screwed a lot of the time because when you take those big chances, you, you know, like a lot of the time they're not going to go well. Um, so I've had, you know, like a whole season where I've lost like a whole season because, you know, I went really hard in training and got injured or, you know, like this race here where it's like, I've trained for six months for one race and don't even finish so you know you have to kind of accept that that's the cost of of trying to to tackle these big goals definitely and and you know even if you don't achieve the goal my so my coach david roche is a big fan of you know as you said consistency over time and and not focusing too much on one one race and what he continues to remind us is that no matter how the race goes you carry that fitness you know going forward um, so he's, he's encouraged me to look at it more along the lines of like what you're doing today is benefiting race day, but it's also benefiting the next race day and the next race day and the next race day. Yeah, exactly. I, I listened to Scott Fobble talk after Boston marathon when he ran 209, it's incredible race. And, um, he said something to the extent of like, you know, the day before the race, I was already really confident. Like I already knew that I was like, you know, way in PR shape. And so however the race went, 
I was already feeling great about my fitness right. and my training block. And, you know, sometimes you have a race where you're like, oh man, my training just really didn't work. And that's why that race didn't go well. But for me, this is an example of that wasn't why I was super right. fit. My workouts went really well. My taper, taper went really well. My race strategy went well until it didn't. <laughs> and so this is just like, okay, like the cards didn't fall your way, yeah. but you still put in some really special work, this block, and you set yourself up for a lot of success in the future. Definitely. So um, a lot of the listeners of the podcast here are from uh, from Boston. And following you on Strava, I've noticed that a lot of your training over the last few months has been these, you know, looping circuits around two, three bridges around the Charles River. Um, let's talk about that. Let's talk about, you know, what did training for a road 100K look like and and what were some of the 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 key sessions leading up to that yeah that's a great question so i owe uh jonas hampton that loop that i worked out on a lot which is uh basically from arsenal street to um to jfk and harvard it's about four miles around and it's nice because it's no stoplights or anything it's it's continuous um and we knew pretty early on what the 100k the project carbon x race was going to look like it was going to be a point-to-point start with a net downhill and then uh, some number of loops of, of about that distance of about four or five miles uh, around a river. And so, again, just like trying to do as much as we can, my coach and I tried to simulate that with the long runs that we did. So I did probably four or five different runs where I, I'd start out in Lexington, run down the Minuteman bike path to Alewife and then over to this river loop and then finish up on the loop. And it was a really, really good way to get my mind ready for what the race was going to feel like in terms of having this long, very lonely section at the start where you're just running point to point and then really getting to this loop and feeling like, okay, this is where the race starts. And that's, you know, my coach referred to it as the warm up, the first 30 K it's just, just the warm up, And then you only have 70 K to go. Um, but so that, that was really, my goal was to mimic, uh, what, what the race course is going to feel like as much as possible. Um, so in terms of training that, that was, those sessions were really kind of my bread and butter my last two months while I was here in Boston. Um, before that, I spent about two and a half months down in Quito, Ecuador, um, which is kind of my winter altitude base nowadays. Uh, I'm a huge baby about the snow uh, and cold, as anyone who knows me can it's attest to. It's fun to see you along the river. Wearing, I'm wearing shorts <laughs> and you're in you know, a parka. Well, that was all, again, that was also calculated because I yeah, also knew it was going to be hot. Yeah. yeah. And it was like 40 degrees for all of April. So yeah. I was like trying to just get my body temperature right. up as, as much as I could. But whatever it doesn't matter even if it's even if i'm not heat training i'm still going to be dressed more than anyone else because i'm a baby um but yeah so basically the the first half of the season was at altitude <coughs> excuse me um and that's what ten thousand feet it's about nine thousand nine thousand feet in quito and then we would go down to about seven thousand sometimes to do faster workouts um but that was that was a really great block i put in a huge huge block of mileage i think it was like three weeks at 160 or something wow. miles um and then came back here in uh beginning of march and then march and april were my two big months here um so in terms of like really key sessions like things where i was like okay this ultra stuff is like maybe i'm i'm okay at this um like my first session back was i ran the rock and roll dc marathon um and ran like a very controlled winning the race in 220 224 i think and then and that um, was april right this was this was early march this is like right 
this is, I guess, two months out from the race. So yeah, I ran 224 and then like two hours later, I did a 20K at race pace. So it was like 65K for the day. It was a really big day and a lot of it fast um, or like relatively fast at race pace. Um, and that that was a really good session and in, in that it was like, okay, this is a big chunk of volume all in one day. But I think for me, the most important thing was really learning how to deal with the recovery. Like I've done a lot of hard sessions in my training, but never that much volume before. And that particular day, I remember it took me just way too long to get over it. And I was very impatient. Um, I kept trying to kind of force things before my body was really ready. It's like, oh, three days, four days, five days. I've got to be able to do a workout. And I think that was this whole block was really an experiment. And that was one of the big things was trying to balance these super long sessions with the recovery needed. Um, so that was one. And then all of these, uh, long runs I did with my coach, John Waldron on the river, um, really all of them went pretty well. The longest one we did was 65 K or no 64 K. So just about 40 miles. And that was more just like a time on feet run to just do the longest run I'd ever done. And then we did probably two or three other runs that were more like race pace. The best of those was we did 52 K at like 328 K pace, which, um, you know, that was kind of like my goal goal for at least the first half of the race was around 330, like 540 mile pace. Um, and that, that was a really, really good session. It was about three weeks out. So it was kind of when I was like, okay, everything is ready. Now we just have to get there without getting in trouble. What are some of the things you do from a from a recovery standpoint to to get back out there quicker? Um, so a big thing I've been seeing a guy named Sam Peck over in uh, Teal Square. He he works with he's a massage of, therapist. Yeah, right? he's a massage therapist. He works with a lot of Tufts athletes, so that's the connection there. I went to Tufts undergrad, um, and I've, I mean I've been seeing him since college. But he's been kind enough to work with me pretty much once a week uh, since I've been back here. And it's been super helpful being able to just see him consistently, like right after my big sessions has definitely helped a lot. Um, beyond that, it's like the stuff you always hear. It's it's eating well, it's sleeping well, it's listening to my body. Um, so kind of like I just said before, I wasn't doing, but <laughs> trying really hard right. to listen to your body and making sure that you're taking the recovery that you need. Um, you know, anyone will tell you like the the training benefits happen between your hard sessions. You know, you have to let your body heal and recover and adapt to, to those stresses and then you can be stronger. And if you don't, then that's how you overtrain. Um, so just trying to, to do that, trying to run slow when I need to run slow. I try to run on grass as much as I can. I live really close to the MIT campus. So I do, again, if you look at my Strava, it's, I live a very boring running life. <laughs> I do a lot of loops around the fields there. Yeah. If you put on um, the privacy beacon, you wipe out all your runs. Yeah, I know. Right. Like, all, like half of my runs are within a mile of my house probably. Um, but yeah, like doing, do, so doing a lot of runs on grass, doing some, doing some barefoot running on, on the turf field over there too. Just, um, any, anything that I can do to kind of get my legs moving with, but, but trying not to, to overstrain them in terms of impact trauma. Cool. So something that I think that amateurs need to hear more of is the pace that someone like you runs easy at. Um, so, so for context, your, your, your goal hundred K pace was high fives. Yep. What is, what is easy look like for you? Um, and, and how long are you going when you go easy? That's a good question. So when I'm kind of in peak mileage at sea level, it would probably be in the morning would be like 80 to 90 minutes and that might average out to, uh, I assume everyone's doing miles. So I'll say somewhere between 
six thirty and seven thirty per mile. Uh, probably depending on on what uh, like what I did how the day before, yeah. right? How wrecked I am. <laughs> better way to say it. Um, and that's honestly the the thing that though about that is that first half mile or a mile might be over eight minute mile pace. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've learned to kind of not care about that. Um, there are some people that I go running with them and they just like out the door, like, right. Oh my gosh, I need to like warm up a little bit. I think the the more you run and the more kind of work you have in your legs, the more important it is to really jog into those, those, even those normal runs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something I learned from athletes all over the world pretty much everyone else does that i think the whole like gps and strava thing has made people kind of anal like oh that first mile split really counts but i like i would say 99 percent of my easy runs it's like i'll the the if i just look at like the average pace on my watch and it will go down every single mile of the run pretty much yeah it's it's personally it's made a huge difference in in my own training Uh, i was talking with a friend yesterday who's who's coming back after she ran boston and she was like, yeah, anytime you're looking for some slow miles, let me know. And I replied to her, I was like, yeah, my Friday miles are slow. And I've got some slow miles on Thursday. And Sundays are slow, too. <laughs> and I'm like thinking through it. And like, yeah. most of my days have been slow. Yeah. Are slow relative to, you know, a workout on Wednesday and long run on Saturday. And and I think that so many, mostly amateurs, are, are in that gray zone of, yep. you know, not too hard, but not too e- not easy enough. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really it's really important to find the pace that lets you recover. Um, right. So it's all about the balance. Like if you if you're not doing any real structured running, like when I'm during the summer, for example, is usually kind of my like base phase. But I'm not really doing any super hard workouts, then I'll actually run faster on my kind of everyday runs right. than even if I'm at altitude than I will here uh, during a big block of workouts, just because I'm not worried about uh, recovering because I'm not really doing anything, you know. So it, it's really about making making sure that those runs serve their purpose and sometimes that purpose is aerobic stimulus and sometimes that purpose is just recovery to get you to the next hard session definitely let's talk a little bit more about the event um, sure yeah what was what was it like uh being out there was it it looked like a you know big media event um let's talk about let's talk about that <laughs> yeah it was it, honestly, it was super fun. It was a really, really great group of people. Um, Hoka did an awesome job of putting on an event that just felt really professional. Um, everything from just the way it was set up for us athletes, we were taken taken care of extremely well. We had everything we needed. Um, you know, there was there was some media events, there was press conference, um, and obviously during the race, I heard tons of positive feedback about how good the stream was how it was like it better was than the boston marathon yeah, stream it really yeah it's awesome. like really really good like i was talking to weldon johnson from let's run after the race he's like yeah i expected it to be like some guy on a bike with his iphone in his back pocket or something <laughs> it's like i no, mean it no, set no. the bar really high for i know the they they uh they they did really well and i think that it's exciting to see you know hoka was a brand that started out as an ultra right. shoe obviously and it's exciting to see them really embrace their roots and try and really promote ultra running as something that, that is cool. And, you know, is like real racing and, and is fast running and, and not to, not to, you know, put down other kinds of ultra running, trail running and stuff. I mean, that stuff is probably even way harder to cover. Um, but I think it's cool to see like this faster road ultra, which I think is kind of where my niche specialty is as something that they really want to, to promote. So 
yeah it was it was an amazing event to be a part of the the guys and and girls on the team were were just an awesome group of people everyone was super supportive and i think one of the coolest things was because it was kind of a time trial event there wasn't much competition it was very much felt like we were all in it together we were we all knew kind of what everybody was going for and so you know like jim wamsley and i were you know i didn't feel like oh i gotta be jim or like there's there's just like okay we're gonna go work together and you know patrick's gonna do his thing wardian's gonna do his thing and it was just a very very fun fun team like atmosphere funniest thing i heard about the whole weekend was wardian was bummed that he had an early flight the next day and he couldn't ra- do a local race <laughs> yeah did you hear that from me <laughs> I may I have. I yeah it's true he uh <laughs> we were at the press conference and someone jokingly was like mike where are you racing to or uh whatever where are you racing on sunday <laughs> and he was like oh man yeah like i got approached by someone to do this five mile or sunday morning but i have an early flight <laughs> and i was like wardian okay he's buddy. a special guy he's a special he, guy he didn't do his depletion mile did he I don't think he did. He was pretty wrecked. I don't think he did anything that night. <laughs> nice. Um, what is the next? Uh, what do the next few months look like for you? So, if my recovery goes well, I'm gonna actually try and go around Vermont City, um, nice. which is in two and a half weeks. So obviously it's a super super short turnaround. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, I love that race. Um, I've won it the last two years, and again back in 2014, I think. Um, and they approached me early in the year and asked if I wanted to go back. And I said, you know, hey, I've got this this big thing on May 4th. But assuming that goes well, I'll, I'll go give it a shot. Again, this is like another example of like, could go well or could go super right. poorly. I have no idea. Um, so I'm going to go up there, give it a shot, and then I'll take like a real uh, break after that. And then um, the fall, I'm hoping to run the uh, U.S national team for 50k worlds again um so the last time they had that was 2016 when i was second and tony milios he was first um so that was a really awesome race and it's awesome to be on national team so do that and then the trial olympic marathon trials are uh late february of 2020 so that's probably probably the next big thing cool what you seem to love the 50k distance yeah i think so i mean the 50k is definitely the distance that i've found the most success at on the global stage um obviously it's not super deep or it's not raced terribly often but i think it's the thing that i've kind of made my specialty i i do think that i can run a really good 50 miles or even 100k um in my future at some point but i think that for now the 50k going there trying to do as well as i can at worlds i mean i still think that the 50k world record overall is is in my wheelhouse is something i want to try and tackle at some point in the next couple of years um What's that record? Uh, it's two forty three thirty eight. So it's like mm, two, like two eighteen flat marathon pace, something like that. Um, yeah. So it's it's definitely, but it's definitely doable. Um, I think I was in shape to do it last spring. Again, we just got a real hot day, and I think I was on pace until like forty k, and then just fell off in the sun. Um, but that that's uh, that's definitely kind of where I see my specialty right now. Cool. Why do you make your goals so public? I don't really have an option. I mean, I'm basically like a walking billboard, right? Like that's what Hoka is paying me to do. Right. And, um, you know, but, I th- but it seems like you, you like that style. Um, or, or do you, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I recognize that guys like me or Jim Walmsley, um, get a lot of hate for kind of like talking, right. like they have really big goals. And I think it can be seen as arrogance. Um, which is fair. Like, I understand that. Um, but at the same time, it's my job to be transparent. I think right. as an athlete, I think that 
it kind of bugs me when you know top level guys are kind of hiding from the media and they just show up the day before the race and then run and that's it and like i i i i kind of pride myself on trying to be as transparent as possible you know like i've been logging since publicly since like college basically and um you know i i try to be pretty open on my social media accounts about what's going on obviously project carbon x was super like don't talk about it until right. right before the race so i kind of had to be more vague there um but you know as soon as they gave us the okay i was like okay this is my this is my goal this is my race plan this is what we're gonna do and like that that was my race plan was what i did yeah so that's uh in terms of like do i like it or not i think it can it definitely gives me motivation um but it also it's it's the balance between motivation and pressure right, right. so it gives me motivation and then it's like okay I put it out there. Now I really have to live up to this, but it's also like, okay, this would be a lot easier if like I were the only one who knew what I was shooting for. <laughs> and then afterwards I could be like, oh, that's, it was good. Don't worry yeah. about it. You know? But I think it's cool. I think with, with you, with Walmsley, with Scott Fobble, I saw it, you know, early on in my running career from Shalane Flanagan, mm-hmm. just like not, I don't see it as arrogance. I see it as, um, this is me. This is my, this is what I'm striving for. And you can set goal, big goals too, and you know come along for the ride. Yeah, I mean, I certainly hope it's it's not arrogance. I don't try to be arrogant. Um, I try to be again. I would just use the word transparent. Yeah. It's like this is this is my thought process. I'm a I'm a pretty open book uh, in terms of that. Like my log is very detailed. It's not censored at all. It's like some of my entries are like pages long. Um, it's all there. Like that's that's me. And if you want to look inside my head, that's that's where you can go. Definitely. So you got into running on the later side. Um, how, why? What What got you into running? Um, I started running as a senior in high school. Seriously, I would. I had been on the cross country team before that, but honestly, it was kind of my last priority. I never, never thought of myself as an athletic person at all. Um, I was like the music kid. I was playing in all the bands and everything. Um, and I would say it was a twofold thing that happened the senior year one was that we had a new coach uh was still my coach john waldron and he really connected with me and the other is that i had a crush in a girl on the cross country team and kind of wanted to uh always have take the sport way. more seriously <laughs> to try and uh, and get a get a little more attention from her maybe um and in retrospect i think i'm someone who is extremely motivated and goal oriented and numbers oriented and so all of those things kind of pre uh preset running as something that could be really powerful for me so it was kind of this perfect storm of all these things coming together um but really once once that happened i was i was pretty hooked and my my coach really instilled in the in me this idea of loving the process of just getting better relative to yourself and so you know i only ran 1830 that year but to me that was like oh wow we're in 1830 so good you know (laughs) so like that was so exciting to be like oh i just took two and a half minutes off my pr or whatever i'm gonna be like i'm amazing at this that felt really good and i had no idea what that meant in the broader context of running all i knew was that like okay i'm a lot better than i was three months ago at the beginning of this season and that was a really addictive feeling yeah it's when it's when you can i don't want to say disassociate but remove the the full validation of tangible results into the the loving the process. And that's definitely a thread or consistent theme that, that P 
people on the podcast have mentioned, I mean, the, the whole goal of this podcast is exploring the why and exploring like what keeps people motivated and what keeps people engaged. And, and over and over again, it's like, I just love it. It's yeah. just so fun. The community, the goals, the, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah. You have, if you don't love the process, if you only love being good, then you, you'll, you won't last because right. you'll never be good enough. Like there was always another tier above you. Like even if you're, you know, Mo Farah, like there's always Elliot Kipchoge. I guess Elliot Kipchoge yeah. is actually really good, but, <laughs> but no, but like if you, if just being good is all you care about, then like, okay, maybe you're really good in high school and then you get to college right. and all of a sudden you're, you get crushed. You're, you're getting crushed. Right. So you really need to, the people who have the longevity in the sport and who stick with it are the people who, like you say, they find the love for the process. And that's, that's something I've really found over the years for myself. Cool. So who are the, some of the partners that allow you to continue, you know, living the dream, doing, doing what, what you love? I mean, the big one is obviously Hoka. Um, they support me financially and with gear and shoes and everything. Um, and they've been, they, I mean, they really, speaking of taking chances, like they took a chance on me mm -hmm. way back when, um, kind of right when they're bursting onto the road scene, kind of trying to get out of the ultra uh, ultra only market, um, and kind of looking for young guys that they saw as, uh, you know, maybe up and coming up and comers. Um, so like they actually started talking to me before I'd even debuted in the marathon. And ever since then, they've been super supportive. They've been better every year to me. Um, and really helped kind of steer me in the right directions. And, and also just been super supportive personally. Like it's a, it's a really awesome group of people. Um, they've been really nice to me after this race. Like I was kind of beating myself up and like every single person I talked to is like, awesome. don't beat yourself up. You just yeah. like try to do something insane and we're really proud of you. So, you know, that means a lot, especially coming from the people who write my Pay paychecks. Yeah. yeah. To know that like, okay, well at least, at least they're psyched with what we did. So right. Yeah, so they're a big one. Um, Noon is another one that that helps me out, and um, and then Strive, which is a program I work with during the summer. Um, they've been really supportive of me as well, um, and I I'm down there during the summer leading trips of high school and college kids in in Peru. And then we also have a program in Kenya. Um, it's a super cool program. It's a really fun part of my year, part where I kind of like get to put my own running on the back burner and focus on hanging out with kids and stuff. It's really fun. Let's talk more about that. Um, I've I've seen that. I've seen you post about it, things like that. Um, how did you get how'd you get into that? So I started with Strive when I was in college and I got hired as a, basically like a big camp counselor to lead these programs in Peru. I'd, I'd already had a decent amount of experience in Latin America and they wanted to set up a program there in Peru and the, the real mission with Strive, it's a combination of uh, an international service learning program and a running camp. So it's this really cool hybrid of you get these kids who are super motivated and driven, and yet they also want to learn about how to give back to a community and be in a really different and unique place. And I get to kind of be there as the facilitator and, and help them kind of navigate that world. Um, so yeah, so we have high school and college kids that come down anywhere for from three to eight weeks. And uh, the focus is, is, yeah, it's like learning about community service, how to do service well and ethically. Um, and then also our programs are at altitude and we cater to runners. So we have structured space for that as well. Cool. So. Uh, what are some of the things that you know now that, you wish you had learned earlier in your, in your running career? Hmm. That's a good question. Hmm. 
Why do I wish I'd known earlier? Or or what are some of the lessons you've you've repeatedly learned that you that, that <laughs> yeah. fi finally That's stuck? Maybe they they still haven't stuck yet. Um, <laughs> I think I mean patience is one that I'm still learning, um, and it manifests in so many different ways. Whether it's being patient during a race, whether it's being patient over the course of a few weeks, or even being patient over the course of a few years, um, I think that having a very long-term approach and recognizing this kind of goes back to what we were just saying about the process that the goals will come with a process that is good and sustainable. So if you try to squeeze every drop of juice out of the orange in whatever in high school or in college, that's probably all you're going to get. Um, and I'm someone who would rather have that long career and still be loving what I'm doing and still be improving you know, at my age. Definitely. Yeah. So the first podcast I did was with Ben Rosario and oh, nice. we talked about, um, we talked about the fact that like, they don't talk about numbers. They don't talk about, mm. you know, we want to do this. We want to do that. It's all about if you do, if you do the work and you put in the work that you can control, the results will come. Yep. Like, and I found it fascinating coming from someone who's responsible for coaching athletes who are making, you know, their livelihood is performing and performing well. It's not just showing up and smiling on race day. Like they, they need to perform. Yeah. Um, so it was just sort of a profound statement that from him based on the athletes he works with, you know, and, and it re really resonated. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of truth in that. I think that the good thing is that the coaches and the people who, run these companies a lot of the time understand that and they understand that okay this person whether it's scott fobble or whomever this person is super talented they're putting in a lot of work if race day doesn't go perfectly it's not it's necessarily a reflection on the athlete right mm -hmm. and i think that you have a lot of people who whatever they see someone who has a bad race or gets injured and they're like oh this person's done this person isn't any good and it's kind of a bummer because you read that and it's very discouraging as, as an athlete of any level, you're like, Oh man, like that's right. Like the, you have one bad race and it, everything is over, you know, or you lose a season or a year to an injury and like your whole life is over. But the truth is that yes, if you stick with it and you're patient and you're consistent, like you will get better. That's just true. Like over time. And it doesn't mean that every single race is going to be better than the last one, but it means that like when you draw that, you know, smoothed out curve, it should be going up. Definitely. I mean, I thought when I set my goal of, of BQing and at the time it was a 305 um, to do so, I was like, yeah, one training cycle. I'll nail it. <laughs> this was 2014, okay. 2015. And, uh, and I didn't get close. <laughs> it yep. took me like my, my last marathon PR was 2016. And three years later, I I finally you know hit that sub three. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people are are stuck on chasing these short term accomplishments, and and I forget who who I was talking about it with on a previous episode, but they were like, you can't set. I mean, you can set these big goals, but you have to be realistic and set, you know, smaller goals along the way if your goal is to right. BQ or OTQ or make the Olympic team or sub two marathon, you know, whatever whatever the crazy goal is, 
um, you have to have those crazy goals, but you have to be at least somewhat realistic about it. Yeah. And I think it, it's, it's also about like running is in marathoning in particular or ultra racing or whatever is, is very challenging in that you get very few data points where you actually test yourself. Right. So if all you look at is how did my marathon go and you only do two a year is you just have such a small right. sample size. It's very hard to draw conclusions from that. That's why, like I was saying before, I kind of try to look at like what Fabo said, like the whole buildup, like how did this go? You know? And so instead of just saying, how did my race day go? Cause that could be anything you could get right. f- food poisoning and, and, or like break your foot or something weird, you know, that could be anything. Whereas if you look at, okay, I'm looking at the last four months of my training and I usually do similar workouts and these workouts were way better than a year ago. That's a really good sign. It doesn't like, yes, obviously you want the race to reflect that, but it's not always going to. And like, that's a truth that you just have to accept. Like sometimes it will go really well and it'll really line up with your training. And those like the most gratifying moments of your whole life or when it's like you have this great buildup and then you have a great race, but sometimes you don't, sometimes you have a really great buildup and you have a really shitty race and it's like, okay, well that's all. That's it's life. That's, that's, part that's of life. It. Yeah. Like I still had a great buildup. It still sets me up really well to now have an even, an even greater race, whatever next, next year in the fall or something. But you know, it's, it's not always going to work out the way I want it to. And I think doing it that way removes some of the pressure. I mean, so many people put so much pressure on race day and, and race day should be the celebration, not the, not the test. Yeah. I mean, obviously like like nobody gets medals for their training logs, right. right? So like you, like race day does matter. Um, and, and there is pressure and that's important, but, it, but it can't, it can't be like the only thing that matters. I mean, I guess like maybe like, let's say you're a miler and you race like 10 times a season or right. something. And it's like, okay, all my races go really poorly, but my training is going great. Right. It's like, yeah, maybe, maybe your training's not something. actually going yeah. great. Yeah. It's like, if you have like 10 bad marathons in a row, then it's like, okay, then maybe something, <laughs> something is going on here. But, but yeah, if, if, if you have uh if you have like one race that doesn't go well, it's not the end of the world. So what suggestions do you have for someone that's looking to step up in mileage, whether it's mileage in training or mileage in racing? Um, be patient, be gradual, um, just bit by bit. Um, one, one thing that people, people often ask me about doubles, um, like running twice a day. And one thing that I did pretty early on, like way back in college was I started doing cross training sessions. So I was exercising twice a day, almost every day, Mm -hmm. even though I was maybe only running like eight or nine times a week, like I was doubling once or twice a week. Um, and I think that that was really beneficial for me because what it meant was my body was already used to that idea of working out twice a day, but I wasn't getting as much impact as I would from running twice a day or from whatever, doubling my mileage all of a sudden. So metabolically your system yeah. is getting used so to So just it. like, yeah, but body wise, I'm used to doing that. And then like over literally several years, I would, you know, okay, I'm doing one double a week and then two doubles a week and then three days. And now it's like I, run, I double almost every single day of the year. So it's like, and that feels totally normal mm-hmm. and natural. Um, but the big thing with volume is you just have to be careful. Like there's no shortcut. There's no secret. Right. Um, like I said before, you can like run on grass, run on turf, run on soft surfaces as much as you can. Um, but, but just, just be careful. Don't, don't try and make huge jumps. Um, it'll almost always end up biting you harder than it'll help you in the end. Definitely. What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, what gets me out of bed in the morning? What what gets you out the door? (laughs) What gets me out the door? I think that I just, I just love the process 
of trying to make myself better. Mm -hmm. And I think every day in a season is like one little step. And so I live my, I live a very routined life. Uh, and, and part of that, part of the reason for that is that I never really question there. There is no like, I'm not going to go do do my run. Exactly. It's just like, Oh, okay. I'm going to get up. I'm going to have coffee. Then I'm going to go run. That's it. Like there's no, there's no thinking about it. And I think that one of the things about having a really good routine is that it takes the thought out of it and it's just, it just becomes part of your life. And yeah, like, are there afternoons where I'm like super lazy and tired and I'm like, Oh, it's like raining out. I don't want to go run. Yeah, of course. Like that's super natural. Um, and I'm still going to go do it. I'm still going to get my run done. I mean, obviously, unless I'm like physically injured or like so low energy that it's like overtraining or something, then again, listen to your body. But um, I think in terms of just getting me out the door, it's like I've established this routine that is part of my life and that I love, you know, like as much as I grumble about those runs, I always feel better afterwards. And I know that. And that's really what gets me out the door is just the motivation to do these little things every single day so that every year I can feel like I'm making progress and I'm getting better and I'm getting the most out of myself. Definitely. I had a coach that, um, talked about training as, um, basically putting, um, building a, building a house brick by brick. And I love that analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Like every day is, is a little building block. Definitely. Um, how do you feel about balance? (sighs) You should ask my wife that question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, it's really hard. Uh, running is a year-long sport. It never stops. And at least when you're in season, there are no weekends. There's no Friday nights. There's no... Every day is another day. And, you know, like I said, I run pretty much twice a day every single day. Um, so it's really hard. It's a very hard balance. I think I'm slowly getting better at it every year. But it's still something that I struggle with all the time. It's something that is really hard for my family and my friends. Um, but I'm really lucky in that they're very supportive of me. And I'm really grateful to them every single day that they are willing to put up with my crazy lifestyle. Um, and, you know, I hope that I can continue to do what I love and chase my dreams while also like continuing to be a good friend and a good partner and all these other things that, that life demands of me. I think that in general balance is something that is, it really makes you think about everything else in your life besides running and running is a sport that is very unforgiving sometimes when you don't kind of put it, front and center. Um, but that said, I think that the other side of that coin is that for some people, at least like I'm a much happier person when I do have some balance in my life, you know, like people talk about Kipchoge at his training camp and doing nothing but running all day with his running buddies. And like, I do have periods like that. Like when I go to Ecuador, my life is more like that. Um, but I wouldn't want to do that all the time. I think that I'm a, I'm a happier overall human being when I do have a little bit of that balance and I have people in my life that I love and care about around me. And that I think makes me a better athlete. I think being a happier person makes me a better athlete. Definitely. Magda Boulay had a really interesting answer to this question. And she said, I don't remember if she, if she actually said that balance is overrated or if that was sort of what (laughs) she inferred with her, with her answer. But she, her answer was, look, at the end of the day, if, if I can go home and look 
her her son Owen or her husband in in the eye and and smile and be happy and um, you know not miss time with them and be a good employee and be a good boss and be a good athlete. She's doing the things that bring her fulfillment, and the rest is just fringe. If you have time for um, you know whatever it might be that isn't as important to you, great. If not, you're doing the things that that are important. And that's what's, you know, that's what she qualifies as, as fulfilling and enriching and, and having a good, you know, a good life. Yeah, no. And, and that's, I think that's true. It's like, where, where do you draw the line between the balance with things that you need to be happy right. and the things that are extravagant? Right. And yeah, for me, like I can be a very introverted person. I can also be a very extroverted person. So like I do require a little bit of both. I think that f- for someone who can who's super introverted like yeah maybe all you need is running and that's great um i don't think that i could do that forever um but beyond my running and my family and my close friends you know i don't i don't miss going out to bars on friday night i don't miss you know whatever like college parties or something that i didn't go to in college because i had a race the next day i i don't feel bad about missing most of those things like i feel bad about you know, oh, it's my friend's wedding and it's a really bad time because it's right before this huge race right. and it's across the country and like, oh, am I going to be able to go to that? Like, the, like there are some things where it's like, oh, this is a really hard decision and right. I'm going to have to figure something out. But a lot of the time it's like, okay, like this is, these are the people that I really care about and I want to make sure I have time to be a part of their lives and vice versa. Um, and, and that's kind of how I try and live my life. Cool. I think that's a good place to uh, to end things. Um, where can people find you on social? Uh, Tyler C. Andrews is my Instagram handle and uh, on Facebook too. I think it's the same. And um, I think I have a Twitter, but honestly, it just reposts my Instagram. So just follow me on Instagram. Cool. And uh, you got some fun workouts that you post on Strava. So that's uh, always fun to follow along with. Yeah. Tyler, thanks so much for joining today. And uh, and best of luck at Vermont thanks. City if uh, the recovery goes well. Thank you very much. I'll do my best. <laughs> Sounds good. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.